Well, this morning, uh, we are going to begin a brand new series entitled Buckle Up. And uh, we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks, what does it mean to find our place, to find our position, and to find our posture uh, in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some pretty awesome stuff as we kind of dive into the Word of the Lord this morning. Uh, so if you've got an outline, you're taking notes and want to follow along, uh, then look at that first point with me today. So what does it mean to buckle up? It means to be securely seated in Christ. It means to be securely seated in Christ, finding that place, that position, and that posture in Him. It means to, be, it means to fully embrace what it means to be united with Jesus. The Bible says that we are complete in Christ, lacking Nothing. And the realization is simply this. When we begin to abide in Christ, when we take our seat and literally we are seated together with Christ, as we're going to see today in Scripture, and we begin to operate out of that place, out of that position, and out of that posture of being seated in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden things really do begin to change as we begin to walk in and walk out the life that God has for us. So today we literally want to talk about buckling up into that place in Jesus Christ where we refuse to be moved away from who we are in Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. Y'all with me? Everybody good? Let me hear you out there. Come on, you with me? All right. Ephesians chapter 2 is our foundational scripture. The apostle Paul says, For once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander, the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I want to stop for a second because I want you to hear what Paul said. First of all, in verse 1, he says, You once were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. Understand something. Disobedience and sin brings death to everything. Death to our relationships. Death to our physical bodies. Death spiritually to us. Death financially to us. Anywhere you see disobedience and sin you will find death around the corner. It comes very quickly. And then the Apostle Paul says this. He says, you used to live in sin. How many glad we used to live that way, but not anymore? How many glad you got a BC? Come on, before Christ and after Christ, and I'm not who I used to be. Anybody glad you're not who you used to be in Jesus? You used to live that way. I don't live that way anymore. I used to think like that. I don't think like that anymore. I used to talk like that. I don't talk like that anymore. Anybody glad that God changes us from the inside out? That there's a transformation that takes place through Jesus Christ, and we don't have to be who we used to be, and we don't have to live like the world lives. We can be different. Come on, somebody. We can live a radically supernatural life that is distinguished and different from the world. He said, you used to live just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Why is that important? I just want to pause there because Paul makes a declaration here that just reminds us of something. He reminds us we are at war. Satan is the commander of the spirits and the powers of the unseen world. Satan is the commander. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the head of the principalities and powers of darkness that are at work against the kingdom of God. And that's just a good reminder because we are at war, guys. And if you forget that, guess what? If you don't recognize that you're in a battle, you'll become a casualty of war. And not only will you become a casualty of war, but you'll become ineffective in winning the battle for Jesus Christ. We are called to fight. Amen? We are called to fight. And we recognize the weapons of our warfare as we've been looking over the last few weeks through our 21 days of prayer. They're not carnal, but the Bible says they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. 
And we've talked about how that prayer and praise and the word of God are weapons of warfare that cast down the works of the enemy and raise up and advance the kingdom of God. So he says, Satan is the commander. And then look what he says in the next part of that verse. He said, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He said, he's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who obey God. I want you to hear me today. Everybody is being influenced by somebody. Everybody is being influenced by somebody. There is a spirit, the Bible says, that is at work in the hearts of those who disobey God. And then there is a Holy Spirit, come on, the Holy Spirit, who is at work in the hearts of those who do obey God. I want you to hear me today. There are only two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of the enemy. There are only two kingdoms. And every decision, every action, every political move, every song written, every book written, everything that is done in our world today from financial decisions to the things that are happening in our families. Everything is being influenced by somebody. There's a spirit, the spirit of God, and then there's the spirit of the wicked one who is at work in the hearts of those who disobey God. There's no such thing as neutral ground. You're either building the kingdom of God or we're building the kingdom of darkness and there's no middle ground. Amen? Amen? And so Paul just reminds us of that. He reminds us that we're not who we used to be, but he says, hey guys, don't forget you're still in a battle. There's still a war that is raging in the world Round about us. Now look at verse 3. He says, And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. For by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Well, look at verse 4. But, but, but God. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much. God is so rich in mercy. Praise the Lord for that. His mercies are new every morning. God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that God did something about the condition of our soul. God did something about the deadness of our own soul and our sin that was separating us from himself because of his mercy. Let me tell you something today. God is not out to get you. God is trying to save you. God is not against you. God is for you. And his mercies are new every morning. And the apostle Paul said God is rich in his mercy. He has loved us so much, look at that next verse, that even though we were dead, verse 5, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Think about this for a second. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he offered the gift of life to all humanity so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When we were dead in our sins, when we were living in disobedience to God, God sent his son, died on the cross, rose again on the third day. And when Jesus was raised to life, God gave us life. He gave life to every person on the planet, to those who would accept Jesus Christ, because it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? Amen. The good news of the gospel. May we never get bored with it. Amen? May it never become normal and mundane when we think about the gift that God gave for our salvation. Look at verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and here it is, and seated us with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. He raised us from the dead and then he seated us with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. Look at verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. 
For God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for it. It is the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Salvation is not a reward. Think about that. Salvation is not a reward for you going to church. Salvation is not a reward for you reading your Bible. Salvation is not a reward because you're a good person. Salvation is not a reward that we earn by our own works or our own merits. Salvation is a gift that we receive from God by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The only way we enter into the kingdom of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not our efforts. It's not our merits. And here's the good news about that. The Bible says, therefore, no man can boast. See, the way into the kingdom of God puts every person on planet earth on equal playing ground. There's no big eyes and there's no little U's in the kingdom of God. We have all entered into his kingdom the same way. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And no other way can any other person enter in except through him. Amen? Well, look what he says in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Guess what? God's got a good plan for your life. God has planned good things for your life long ago, before the foundations of the world. God had a plan. God had a purpose. And God has sent his son to redeem us back into the plan and the purpose that he intended for our lives. And the good things that God wants to do in our lives are fully accomplishable through being seated and rooted and established in Jesus Christ. Amen? So look at that next point on your outline. Let's talk about this. Because we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, we have a place, a position, and a, and a posture. We're going to talk about those three things next Sunday. Our place, our position, our posture. But we have a place, a position, and a posture that brings security, strength, and success. Let's talk about that for a minute. That brings security, strength, and success. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. There is a security in Christ. I want you to hear this today. There is a security in Christ. When we are seated in Christ, there is a security and a safety and a stability that comes out of that. Why? Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I am free. I am free to live my life because I'm no longer afraid of death. Therefore, I can fully live my life. And I don't have just an eternal security. I have a temporal security that says God is with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And I'll never be alone. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so all of a sudden, I recognize there's a security in Christ. When I am seated in Christ, if I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. So guess what? Now I can live freely. As long as you fear death, you can't fully embrace life. As long as you fear death, you can't fully embrace your life. But the moment you come to Christ, there is a security in him that says, I am safe and secure, and I'm going to be all right because he's never going to leave me, and he's never going to forsake me, and he will always be with me. And if I live, then I live for Christ. And if I die, guess what? I get to go home and be with Jesus. You can't threaten me with death because death is the doorway into the presence of God. Now, I, I don't know if... Uh, if we got any adrenaline junkies in the house, we got any adrenaline junkies in the house. A couple of you are good, awesome. That's fun. So uh, I've done a couple things over the years, and this is what I've recognized. I've recognized that when you have a sense of security, it creates a boldness and a confidence in your life. Amen. 
When you know you can't lose, then you're more apt to want to play and fight and win. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I, I remember, so uh, I've done a couple crazy things over the years. I went bungee jumping. And I did one of those reverse bungee jumps, you know, where they put you in that ball, they pull you down to the ground, and then they shoot you up in the sky. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in that thing, and that guy was buckling me into that little reverse bungee jump, and it was a Christian place. It was pretty cool. I said, sir, is this thing safe? He said, yeah. He said, it's safe, but if it's not, if you're ready, you'll go home and meet the Lord. <laughs> it was actually ran by a church. When they buckled you in, they literally asked you, are you ready to meet the Lord? They asked you that question. <laughs> But you know what? When you know when there is a when there is a security, when you know you can't lose, you have a confidence. You have a boldness that enables you to live out loud full throttle for Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when we're seated in Christ. When we understand that we have a place, we have a position, and we have a posture in Christ that brings the security so that if I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. I can't lose. I might as well live all out for what I've got to live for God. Amen? There's a strength in Christ. The Bible says in Him we are made strong. Right? Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Why? Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And not only will you do what Jesus did, but Jesus said you'll do greater works than I did because I go to the Father and my Spirit lives on the inside of you. There is a strength in Christ that enables us not only to stand and not only to live, but I think here's one of the greatest things. There's a strength in Christ that enables us to endure. There's an endurance in Christ. Because when you think about life, let's just be very honest in here today, life is hard. And you can be loving God and living for God and doing everything God wants you to do, but we live in a world that is full of sin and stained by sin, and the curse of sin still affects the world that we live in. And you can be living the life God has called you to live, and there's still trauma, and there's still heartache, and there's still heart heartbreak, and there's still setbacks that come into every person's life. And the reality is, is there is a strength in Christ that sustains you through the storm. That gives you the grace to hold on and press on and stay the course. Man, I've seen some amazing people in our church. Howard and Cindy Hill, who lead our children's ministry here at the church. Just several years ago, when their 16-year-old daughter tragically died in an accident, I saw a strength that only comes from God. I saw them stay the course. I saw them refuse to be moved away. I saw them never miss one beat. And what they were doing for the kingdom of God. They grieved, they hurt, and today they still grieve and still hurt over the loss of their precious daughter. But they never missed a beat. They just kept on keeping on for Jesus. Why? Because there's a strength that they will tell you today does not come from their own abilities. There's a strength that comes from God that gives us the grace to endure and overcome the storm. And then there is a success in Christ. When we're seated in Christ, there is success. And we made this statement a couple of weeks ago. You can't do anything, but you can do everything that God has called you to do. And God has called us to ascend those mountains. God has called us to climb the heights. God has called us to be in a place of influence and impact where we can change our world for the glory of God. And it is in Christ, when you are seated in Him, that you experience the success, that you grab hold of everything that you need and have access to the fullness of Christ that has been given to you through God so you can succeed at being the person God has called you 
to be. And that's a glorious thing. Amen? So look at the rest of that statement. So we need to buckle up. And I just made me a little note right here. I don't know. We got any NASCAR fans in the house? Any NASCAR fans? Don't be ashamed. It's all right. Go ahead. There you go. Right <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm not really a NASCAR fan, but, but John Wesley, our, our son-in-law, is a NASCAR fan. And so uh, there's nothing else on TV, right? So I've been watching some NASCAR lately. And uh, so I've been watching NASCAR. And as I was thinking about this, and the Holy Spirit kind of gave me this little title about buckling up, being seated in Christ, I just thought, you know, as I was working through this, I thought, Lord, we need to be NASCAR buckled. We don't need to just put one little strap across our thing. I mean, we need to be NASCAR buckled into that thing. And if you look at that, I had a, a junior in our first service. He said they've got a five-point harness system that holds them into that car. Five points that harness them and hold them into that place. We need to be NASCAR buckled into Jesus. Come on. We need to be NASCAR. We need to be so locked in. I mean, you look at those guys in those cars, it's like they can't even really turn their head. I mean, they've got these things on their head. They've got seatbelts and straps all around them. Everywhere you look, they are locked in. They are buckled in to the seat. That's what we need to look like in Christ. We need to be NASCAR buckled into our position and our identity in Christ because it is there and there alone that we, th we thrive and live the life that God has called us to live. So we have to refuse to be moved away from that. So look with me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul again, he says, Yet now he, speaking of God, has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, look what he says, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So listen to what Paul says to the Colossians. He basically says the same thing to the Colossians that he said to the Ephesians. He says, guess what, guys? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have been brought into the presence of God. You have now been declared holy and blameless. And when you stand before God, you're going to stand before God without fault and totally, completely righteous in the presence of God. When we are seated in Christ, here we today, when we are seated in Christ, we are holy and blameless and without fault. It is the place that we thrive and live in as we are seated in Him. Now look at that next verse. He says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Look at this next phrase. Don't drift away. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So don't drift away. Don't drift away from the truth of the gospel. Don't drift away from that position in Christ. Don't move away from that place of being firmly rooted and established, buckled in to that seat that you have. In Jesus Christ. Don't drift away. Now look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. So let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. And how foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Listen to that verse. I want to read it again. How foolish can you be after starting your Christian life in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect 
by your own human efforts? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely was it not in, surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit to work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And in the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. So look at that next point. I want you to see this. There is a demonic temptation that every believer in Jesus Christ take, take, uh, experiences. There is a demonic temptation that every believer in Jesus Christ faces. And it's the temptation to drift away or else it's the temptation to begin to add to what Jesus Christ has already done for us. This demonic temptation is to drift away or to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ only when we buckle up and refuse to move away from who we are in Christ can we truly live the life God has for us. Now next week, as I've already said, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what is our place, what is our position, and what is our posture in Christ. But the Holy Spirit really quickened my heart this week as I was studying praying. He said, Keith, he said, I want you to slow down. He said, I want you to slow down right here and I want you to take some time because let me just make a confession to you. I have a tendency. Here's my tendency. I have a tendency that whenever I get in the car, crank the car, turn the air conditioner on, buckle up, put the car in reverse and get ready to go, I automatically assume that everybody else is just as ready as I am. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in the car, me and Kelly, and I've cranked the car, turned the air conditioner on, put my seatbelt on, put the car in reverse, backed up, headed out the driveway, and about to pull the road, and she says, I haven't even got my seatbelt on yet. And I automatically think, what have you been doing? <laughs> but I never say that, Lord, help me, Jesus. <laughs> been married 30 years, I would never say that to her. I can say it right now because we're having fun. <laughs> So she says, I've not even got my seatbelt on yet. I'll say, yes, dear. So I put the car in park, put my foot on the brake, and I patiently wait for her to get her beautiful seatbelt on. <laughs> so I realize my tendency is to assume that everybody else is right where I'm at. That everybody else is seated and buckled and ready to go on this thing called Christianity. And the Lord said, Keith, I want you to slow down this morning. And I want you to labor on this last point just a little bit. I, I want you to really challenge us as believers to ask a couple questions. So I want to ask a couple questions today. I want to do a little meddling. Is that okay? So here's a question I want to ask you. First question is, are you drifting away? And let me just write down what I, I felt like the Holy Spirit share with me. Let me write it down. Let me share, you what I, share with you what I wrote down. The Lord asked this question. He said, have you lost your passion have you lost your zeal and your desire to know God and to make him known? And then he said this. He said, Keith, has there ever been a time in your life, has there ever been a time in your life when you were more passionate about knowing God or more passionate about making him known than, than you're living in right now? Has there ever been a time where you had more passion about knowing God or making God known than what you have right now? He said, if the answer to that question is yes, then you've drifted. If you can remember a time where you were more passionate about knowing God and you were more passionate about telling other people about Jesus than where you're at right now, then you've drifted. You've drifted away from that place in Christ. You've drifted away from that place where passion and intimacy fuel the fire of our soul. Now, let me clarify something this morning. I want to be really clear because 
The, real, the reality is that there are, there are seasons in our lives. And based on the season of life that you're in right now, the season of your life is going to determine how much time you have to pursue God and to tell other people about Jesus. And if you're raising three or four little kids around your house right now, your amount of time may be very small because right now you are fully consumed in making sure our kids got food to eat and they get a bath before they go to bed and we're about to start virtual school, so it's really going to be fun. So depending upon the season that you're in, it's going to determine, your season is going to determine how much time you have to spend pursuing the Lord, how much time you have to spend serving God and telling other people about Jesus. And so seasons come and seasons go. I'm 48 years old. I don't know how many different seasons I've been through. We've been through a lot of seasons. And there have been times where it seemed like, man, I had all the time that I wanted. And there have been other times where it seemed like I didn't have enough time at all, not even a free minute to pursue the Lord and do the things that I knew he was calling me to do. But this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Keith, he said, he said the challenge here, the challenge here is not, is not about how much time you have to spend. He said, because your time is going to be determined by your season. He said, the challenge here is has your passion faded? Are you less passionate about pursuing God and less passionate about making him known to other people than you've ever been in your life? He said, just because your seasons have changed and just because the amount of time that you have to do those things has changed, your passion doesn't have to change. You can be just as passionate now as you've ever been about knowing me and making me known to the world. And if your passion is what it should be, then you'll make the most of the time that you have, no matter how much and no matter how little that is. But if your passion is not what it should be, it won't matter how much time you have because you'll squander it and waste it, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. And so the question of drifting, have I drifted, is not about am I doing more than I've ever done because sometimes we get condemned. Because there are different seasons in your life where you can do more than you can do in other seasons. And you can serve more than you can in other seasons. And you can give more than you can in other seasons. And what happens many times is we get condemned because, well, I'm not doing as much as I used to do. Well, that's because now you got three kids. You only have one kid then. Now you're working two jobs to pay for the three kids so your wife can stay home and raise the babies. Duh. Right? It's okay. Seasons change. The question is not time. The question is not, it's not, it's not what, it's not am I doing more today than I've ever done. No. The question is, am I more passionate today to know him and to make him known than I've ever been? Because if the answer to that question is no, I'm not, then you've drifted. And today we're just going to take a few minutes in just a moment and we're just going to, we're just going to retake our seats this morning. But I want to flip the coin real quick. Because, because on the other end of the spectrum, if, if you're in a place, let me, let me pause real quick. Let me, let me tell you why I think we drift. I'm just going to give you my number one thought and observation. I think the reason we drift is because of, because of the trials and tribulations of life. And even, even more specifically, I think the reasons that we drift is because of the unexplainable things in life. 
I mean, you're living for God. You're doing all the right things. You do everything you know to do and still bad things happen and you lose somebody you love and you have to battle through something you never thought about battling through and your children end up making decisions they shouldn't make and before you know it, you're fighting things you wish you had never had to fight and you're like, God, I'm doing everything I know to do. This don't make sense. I can't explain it. Why is this happening? And what happens during those unexplainable times, during those tragedies and trials that come to all of our lives is sometimes what happens is we allow those things to cause us to move away from that place in Christ. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, don't allow the unexplainable things to move you away from what you know to be true. Don't allow what you can't explain to move you away from what you know to be true. So what do we know to be true? Well, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, God has demonstrated his love for us. How do we know that God loves us? It's really simple. You don't know that God loves you because people are nice to you. And you don't know that God loves you because you always have enough money. And you don't know that God loves you because everything always works out in your favor. And you don't know that God loves you because when you go to the store, there's always an upfront parking spot with your name on it, right? Now, you know how you know that God loves you? It's really simple. It's really clear. There's really only one way. You know that God loves you because Jesus died for you. That's what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Go on and read it. It says, this is how we know love. How do we know that God loves us? Because Jesus died for us. He died as a substitute, as a sacrifice for our sin. God died for us. And you can't judge the love of God by how people treat you. And you can't judge the love of God by how circumstances work out for you. And you can't judge the love of God by the condition of the world around you because the world's not following God. Anybody figured that out yet? There's only one way for you to measure the love of God. And that is through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, that He offered Him for me and you on the cross. Now, that is love. So don't allow what you can't explain. I can't explain why I'm doing all the right things and bad things are still happening. I can't explain how I'm praying and believing in somebody that I love still died. I can't explain why we're doing all these things that we're supposed to be doing and things just aren't coming together. I can't explain those things. And one day when we get to heaven, you can ask God. And somebody told me when you get to heaven, you won't even want to ask God because it won't matter anymore. I don't know. But this is what I do know. You can't allow what you can't explain to move you away from what you know to be true. And we know to be true that God loves us. And it is an amazing love because God gave his son for us. Now let me just make a confession to you today. I love you. I really do. I love, I love you. And I would die for you. I really would. And I, I even believe, I even believe I would die for a stranger. But let me tell you what I wouldn't do. I would not offer my kids for you. I would die for you, but I would not let my kids die for you. And now I got a little grandbaby. I mean, he's totally off limits. Y'all are in trouble. <laughs> Ain't happening. I would die for you, but I would never, never, never give my son or my daughter or my grandson or my son-in-laws for you. But that's what God did. Man, that's a level of love that's beyond anything that I can even begin to imagine. So don't allow what you can't explain to move you away from what you know to be true. God loves you. Not because things are good and wonderful and pleasant, but because Jesus died on the cross, took your place as a substitute for your sins so you could have eternal life and know God and live forever. Don't be moved away from God. Now let's flip the coin. 
So on the other end of the spectrum from drifting away or moving away from God is this other idea where we begin to add to. Paul, Paul rebuked the Galatian church, he said, because you started in the spirit and now you're trying to become perfect in the flesh. You started adding to these things. So let me just, let me just read to you what the Holy Spirit said. I just want to just share with you. He said, are you striving to earn what has been freely given? Have you become legalistic, more concerned about the rules than righteousness? Are you judgmental, critical, always measuring everyone else's commitment to Christ based on your commitment? In other words, have you become the standard of Christianity? See, we drift away when we experience hardships and trials. But when you're really on fire for God and you're serving God with all that you got, you know what? There's a temptation there. Here's the temptation. When I'm giving God all I've got, there's a temptation to look at other people and think, hey, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you as passionate as I'm passionate? Why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Why aren't you serving like I'm serving? Don't you love God? Don't you care about souls? Don't you think this matters? What do you mean you're just going to hang out and watch TV? Why don't we go out and pray? Why don't we go knock on some doors? Why don't we share the gospel? Why don't we preach? Why don't we do this? And there's a tendency when you're on fire for God to get a judgmental, critical spirit where you begin to look at other people and think, if you're not doing what I'm doing, then you're probably not serving God. And I've seen it happen over and over again. Let me just confess, I've been there and done that. I've suffered the frustration of thinking, God, what is wrong with people? <laughs> if they just loved you like I loved you, there'd always be somebody in the nursery. There'd always be somebody working with the kids. We'd never have to worry about who's going to show up on Sunday morning and fill the spots that need to be filled just so we can minister to the people that are coming to be ministered to. God, if they just loved you like I loved you, I mean, they would be here. When you're in that place, you've moved away. You've moved away. And let me tell you why that's so important. It's so important you understand that because the moment that happens, the moment that happens, you begin to isolate and separate yourself from the very people you're supposed to be building the kingdom of God with. You begin to push back from the very people that God has called you to serve Him with. And all of a sudden, instead of the body of Christ getting stronger and better, it gets weaker and weaker. Because now you're passionate on fire, right? And everybody ought to be on fire and just like me. Well, no, they shouldn't. Everybody ought to be on fire, but they don't need to be just like you. Because if they were just like you, you would be irrelevant. If they were just like you, we wouldn't need you anymore. Everybody ought to be on fire for God, but everybody doesn't need to be on fire just like you. They need to be on fire just like them. And I don't know what that looks like. I'm not God. I can't tell. But they know, and God knows. And at the end of the day, that really is all that matters. Amen? So, let's do this today. Let's just fire our heads from here. And I don't know if you've drifted. And I don't know if you've tried to add to some things. But I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you today. Let's retake our seats. Let's NASCAR buckle in. Let's say, God, today I'm going to refuse to be moved away from my place, my position, and my posture in Christ.
I'm going to buckle in and I'm going to buckle up and I'm going to hold on and I'm going to run the race that God's called me to run. So if you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, there's, there was a time in my life I was way more passionate than I am now. And I want to reclaim that today. You don't reclaim it by doing more. You reclaim it by repositioning yourself in Christ. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I realize, boy, I, I've kind of become critical and judgmental of other people. I've allowed my passion for Christ and for ministry to almost create a wall that's pushed other people away from me instead of a bridge that draws people to me. Whatever extreme you may be in this morning, and the truth is we are, we are all confronted with these temptations to drift away or to add to we need to repent. We need to return to that place that God has called us to. We need to be seated in Christ today. And so right now, I just want to encourage you, just do some business with the Lord where you're at. Just confess it. God, I've drifted. God, I've added to it. It's sin. It's wrong. I'm sorry. I want to reposition. I literally, mentally, I want to just buckle up again today. I want to take my place in Christ. Because that's where I'm going. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to just talk to those of you that may be here today. And you might say, Pastor Keith, there's no doubt in my mind, I am not buckled. And I know I'm not buckled up because I'm not even in the car. And you're on the outside kind of looking in at this thing, and you realize this morning that you're not buckled because you're not in the car, and you're not in the car because you've never believed in and trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. But today you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, today I want to do that. Let me tell you a very sobering truth today. The reality is is that everybody will one day realize they need God. And you'll either realize that in this life or you'll either realize that in death. But one day everybody will realize they need God. And if you've never been broken by life to such a degree that you look up and say, God, I need you, you will be broken by death. And you will stand before God and you will realize that all of my good deeds and all of my successes and all of my strengths are nothing without Christ. And my righteousness is as filthy rain. But the good news of the gospel is that God, who is rich in mercy, has loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to take our place. He raised him from the dead so that we could have life. And we could be seated in Christ and know him forever. So if you're here this morning in person or maybe you're watching online, I want to just challenge you to do something. You're here today and say, Pastor Keith, I want to accept Christ. I want to be born again. And I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm willing to commit my life to follow him from this day forward forever. If that's you right now, sitting in this room today, I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith, just raise your hand. Today I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're watching online on our online platform, there's literally a hand right there that you can click on to raise your hand and say, today I want to pray and accept Christ. If that's you, we want to help you today. We want to come alongside you. I want to pray with you in just a moment. Because it's in Christ that we are secure. It's in Christ 
that we are strong. It is in Christ that we have success that not only is temporal but eternal. Every person will one day realize they need God. The question is, will you realize it now or will it be too late? If you're here today and you say, today I want to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, just raise your hand. For those of you that are watching online right now, we're about to pray together. If you've raised your hand and just said, hey, today I want to know him, I'm just going to ask everybody here today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, let's just bow our heads and let's just say this prayer together out loud together, all of us. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive you and the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen.